Looking for coffee that can finally give you the flavor and experience you have been missing? Then your next coffee order should be from SeaStateCoffee.com. SeaState Coffee is premium, hand-selected, highest-grade available coffee that is roasted on order, delivered fresh to you. And right now, you can take 20% off your order by using the code GRIND20. That's G-R-I-N-D and the number 20 for 20% off your SeaState Coffee order. Head over to SeaStateCoffee.com so you can enjoy the smoothest and most caffeinated coffee available. Start your day off right with SeaState Coffee. This week on the Route 16 Grind, in the Outdoor Update, I will talk about HR 2435 Accelerating Veterans Recovery Outdoors Act. And from the field, I'm going to talk about my recent hunts for some deer and doves. In the rock, mud, and dirt, I provide you my opinions on the new rigs in town, the Ford Bronco and the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. In Go Adventure, I'm going to share with you what has been keeping me so busy, volunteering. Then I wrap up the show with a cup of joe. Route 16 Grind, Episode 33, Support, Hunt, and Volunteer! Welcome to the Route 16 Grind, the podcast for outdoor adventurers. If you wheel, hunt, fish, overland, or are an all-around adventurer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we pour a cup of sea steak coffee and talk about informative topics, the gear, and the training that can help you have a successful outdoor adventure. We have amazing contributors and some great conversation. So, grab your cup, sit back, and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to the Route 16 Grind on International Podcast Day. I love to give a shout out to some of my favorite podcasts. Top of the list has to be the one and only Nikki G's 10 Minute Off Road. Next up is the one and only, of course, Jeep Talk Show. And if you're a hunter, you know you're going to have to listen to a to Meat Eater podcast. And, you know, for my politics, I love to enjoy the Lions of Liberty. And, of course, my Marine Recon brother from another mother, Georgia's Libertarian candidate for Senate, Shane Hazel, who is the host of Radical with Shane Hazel. Now, if you have a podcast, let me know. I would love to give it a listen, and hell, I might even bring you on the show. Okay, y'all, this is going to be a great show. I'm going to be discussing some double V's and double D's. That's veteran support, volunteering, and deer and doves. And of course, got to address the Bronco and the Grand Wagoneer. So lots to share, so let's get on with the show. We appreciate your posts and feedback. One of the best ways to help out the show is to post a five-star review with your feedback on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. This helps us grow the Route 16 Grind audience. We also get a chance to hear from you. So if you love the show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts today. The Outdoor Update is brought to you by Tuffy Security Products. Having your vehicle broken into is not a laughing matter. Trust Tuffy Security Products to stop opportunistic thieves. Tuffy is the industry leader in automotive security and provides peace of mind when you walk away from your rig. Durable and easy to install. Tuffy Security Products has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lockboxes available for you to organize your rig and secure your gear. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Remember to lock it up. Welcome back to the Outdoor Update, the weekly segment where we provide you the stories, news, and information from the recent going-ons in the outdoor world. This week, I'm going to talk about H.R. 2435, the Accelerating Veterans Recovery Act. This bill was first introduced in the House on 1 May of 2019. It was introduced by Representatives Christopher Smith of New Jersey and Adam Smith of the state of Washington. Now, this bill was the first brought to our attention by our good friends at Veterans Overland. Now, if this bill passes, it will require the Secretary of Veteran Affairs to establish an interagency task force no later than 180 days from enactment. The task force will focus on the use of public lands, provide medical treatment and therapy to veterans through outdoor recreation. This task force will be composed of members and designees from the Department of Veteran Affairs, Department of Interior, the Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, the Army Corps Engineers, and this part is very important. Any member the Secretary of Veteran Affairs determines to be appropriate. Hello, veteran outreach, nonprofit organizations, are you listening? 
The task force will be co-chaired by representatives from the Department of Veteran Affairs and the Department of Interior. Now, here's the task that they're going to have to do. They're going to have to identify opportunities to formalize coordination between Department of Affairs, public land agencies, partner organizations regarding the use of public lands and other outdoor spaces for medical treatment and recreational therapy for veterans. They're going to have to identify barriers that exist to providing veterans with opportunities for medical treatment and therapy through the use of outdoor recreation on public lands and other outdoor spaces. And they're going to have to develop recommendations to better facilitate the use of public lands and other outdoor spaces for preventive care, medical treatment, and therapy for veterans. The task force shall seek consultation. They shall carry out their duties in consultation with the appropriate veterans outdoor recreation groups. Did you all just jump out of your seat? You veteran outreach groups, did you just listen to what I said? This is your calling, guys. No later than 180 days after the date of which the task force is established, the chairperson shall submit to Congress a report on a preliminary findings of the task force. No later than one year after the date of the submittal of the preliminary report, under the paragraph, the chairperson shall submit to Congress a report on the findings of the task force, which shall include recommendations. One year after the submission of the final report, the task force shall terminate. Now, that's a pretty big deal, y'all. At least I think so. And you should, too. I mean, if you're one of these people that is always out there at veteran events trying to help, trying to you're donating your time, you're donating your money, you're one of the people to help organize those events. You're one of the people that contribute your space. You're one of the individuals that has the organization itself and helps structure it up. I mean, I'm thinking of Reboot Nation, you know, Reboot Outdoors. I'm thinking Record the Journey. I'm thinking a True Patriot, Patriot Therapy, you know, Veterans Outdoors, Overland. I mean, there's so many different groups that are out there and include like all you off-road clubs. I'm throwing you all in here too because you guys do so much as well, just independently with your time, your resources to sit there and say, we want to do something. This here is something, y'all. So, but this isn't, you really got to look at this. And if uh, I'm kind of a stop again, man, this has been, you know, in the house since last year. Once it passes, once we get it, we energize this and we tell our representatives, you need to get on board with this and get this thing passed uh, so we can help lower, if not erase that whole 22 a day. It they have six months to establish a task force. That's time and space. Then once they establish a task force, they have six months to accomplish all those goals. So that's a whole year right there before you know anything. That's just giving recommendations to Congress. And then they have a year, and that's probably back and forth, you know, going up, doing testimony, all that. They have a year of basically administrative time from what I read into it that, well, okay, we finally come to conclusion. These are all the things that we need to put into this program. So that could be like two years. And every day we're losing a day to get this thing moving forward. I can pretty much see where this is going to take two years. Now, I got to throw this out there too. And, I, and it needs to be said, they, they have a lot of different departments involved and they're opening the door for all these organizations to come in and say, hey, use our resources, use our knowledge, use the information that we have gathered in these past you know decades of helping and assisting veterans in many different aspects. There's going to be a lot of different groups that can contribute here and you could be one of those. So I'm glad they're taking their time to open that door and giving the uh, different people, individuals, uh, organization, the chance to come and share their knowledge and their resources here and saying, these, these are our suggestions. So I won't get too bent up around that, but the concern for me is the fact that I don't want to see delay I want to see forward motion here. And the only way we're going to get this thing moving forward is we get we have to get involved, y'all. You got to write your congressperson, your congressman, your congresswoman, the person that represent you and your district. You need to tell them you care about HR 2435 passing and share your story. Share why. I mean, you guys have heard my story on these this podcast numerous times about the benefits I feel the outdoors provides getting off the couch, getting outside, integrating with society, meeting people, socializing, all those different aspects of it. On top of it, you're getting that challenge that you might be missing. So y'all, do your diligence, 
call your congressperson, write them, email them, go knock on their door. They are your representative. They work for you and let them know HR 2435 is important and let's get this bill passed. The Red Warren Badge says you're equipped to handle anything, ready to conquer any challenge that may come your way. That badge has stood for off-road excellence for more than 70 years. During that time, we haven't stopped innovating or striving for perfection. Be ready. Be prepared. Go Warren. When you hear the calls, you know we have a report from the field. And as a hunting season now is upon us, I'm going to talk about my recent hunts for deer and doves. Now, opening day for dove season, I took my son Austin out and we went out. We got up about, oh man, probably like 3.34, probably 3.30 on me because we wanted to make sure we got our spot. We had to get out there super early. We went to the Sand Hills Game Lands. I went with a couple friends, uh, a friend and his roommate. And uh, we made the plan to get out there super early so we can make sure we had the, the spot that we wanted from, if you all remember, the scouting that we did a few weeks back prior to the season opener. Now, there are a lot of hunters in this field. We got out there about the right time. There are probably maybe, a, I want to say probably like maybe 10, somewhere around there, that were already out there. No kidding. And it kind of imagine, if you've never gone dove hunting or, or something like this, uh, imagine like a football field right? And inside that football field, there's like crop corn or, or something like that. Uh, there's lanes where there might be some stalks and then some space and another lane of stalks, stuff like that. You got some tall grass and then you have plowed field all around it, if you will. So it was a really good, uh, North Carolina does a great job with food plots and stuff. And then you have to wait till sun up. So you got to wait till sunrise, the actual time for sunrise before you can even take a shot on any of these doves. So once sunrise comes, you always you already know because there's probably like there's a single shot, then there's a volley of other shots because the, there's probably a dove coming in with a couple of friends and you just hear it and you know from what side it's coming from because this whole field is surrounded by you know hunters and there's some people most of the time most of the time you are in kind of like an oval or a square you may not meet necessarily be right online. But you're definitely in viewpoint. I think the people out there did a great job. Uh, you know, other hunters, uh, w- there's a lot of good respect in that aspect of spacing and whatnot and, re- and respect for, for safety. Now, there are some that were in this field. like the. So, again, imagine a football field is someone sitting around the 40-yard line on, you know, both opposing goals, if you will. Yeah, that's really not my thing with a bunch of people shooting shotguns. And, and you're hoping that no one takes a low shot on a bird. So like, you know, when you're hunting, uh, birds where you have retrieved dogs that go out and retrieve, you get in the habit of not shooting low and you also don't get shoot low because you don't want to shoot another hunter. So those are the two reasons why between a dog and fellow hunters, you don't, I would say somewhere just a tiny bit below the 45 degree, somewhere in that 40, 45 degree area is kind of where I comfortably feel, uh, that's appropriate for that. Um, all throughout the day, you'll feel, like every now and then maybe a pellet or two kind of like rain on you from the just falling and stuff but it's nothing crazy like coming at you at a high velocity and whatnot but those are things you got to consider when you're out there um it was really fun though these things are like sky ninjas they can maneuver they go fast um i was pretty amazed by the whole experience it was fun because in north carolina uh, there is an average, I want to say seven to 12 shells that are fired before you even harvest one dove. That's the average amount of shells that are fired. And I can tell you, I saw plenty of dove go from one end of the, the field to the other end and, and just continue on going and enjoying their day. Um, some other ones, you know, they definitely came into the crosshairs and we we're fortunately harvest them. So yes, my son, he, you know, he got a dove, uh, you know, I got some doves, but I will tell you this, the, the, uh, recovery isn't as easy in the, some of these fields, or at least this particular field, if you don't go out and just go get it and you lose kind of the spot, I mean, you might lose that dove. They blend so well into the ground that you might lose it. And then once that dove's on the ground, it's there for just a little bit, a few minutes, then the fire ants are going to get it. So you're not going to recover that thing. But it was fun. We had a great time. I had uh, you know good people with us, and and we ended, we all enjoyed it. Uh, a few things happened. I'll just keep with us that you know we 
we definitely, uh, you know, can work on if you will. But, um, I'm very, very happy to had that moment and those that day, uh, enjoy that. And my son just, it was fun, you know, cleaning, uh, the dove and, and doing everything we needed to do. So I haven't yet cooked it up yet. I need to do that. Maybe this weekend we'll cook them up, but yeah, man, we had a good time. And, and if you guys are, you know, if you haven't tried it, you haven't done it, definitely go out there, make sure to get, make sure you have your license, make sure you have your migration, uh, certificate or, you know, your license for that thing's called hip certificate. Make sure you have everything you need proper in order to go do it. Cause they do come check that, you know, game warrants were out and stuff. Uh, we had a great, great conversation with them, but yeah, the, uh, the experience was very positive. Enjoyed the day. And, uh, the things that we saw out there, we all learned from and, um, yeah, so that was pretty fun. Now let's get into deer. Yes. Deer season. Yes. So excited to be actually get out there and enjoy that. I have yet to go on some public grant. I haven't really gone out a lot. I've only gone out, I think, three times so far since the season started. Um, I wish I could get out more. I've been super busy, and I'll get into more of that a little bit later. But the times I have gone out, I went out on opening day, went out really early, got set up. I think I was in the stand by 5.30, 5.45, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, we just wait for sunlight, and then hopefully they'll come in and stuff. Very first day, I'll be honest with you, didn't see nothing. Not I saw well I saw a rabbit I saw a bunch of dove um, I'm out on a a lease that uh, I was fortunate to get on and uh, you know have all the feeders all that stuff uh, they have tree stands all set up and stuff like that so I'm very fortunate to link up with uh, this uh, these two gentlemen and uh, they opened up their property to let me come on and I very appreciate me and my son. And yeah, so I'm on, I'm in this one and, uh, nothing. I'm just seeing a lot of different animal activity, but no deer. Now it was pretty warm. It was pretty windy that day. A lot of swirly wind is probably a better way. That's my, uh, one of my friends, uh, the other guy, one of the other guys that's on that lease was out on, on a different, um, area in his stand. And we're both texting each other like, yeah, I think, nope. And we didn't see one deer that whole day. And it just, you know, it wasn't right. It, it just wasn't, you know, so maybe got burned, you know, maybe they sm- smelled us, et cetera. No big deal. Learn from it. Good to go. Went out there, put some stuff out there, um, did some little bit of scouting one day. And then I went out again, same stand, same place, all that. And it was probably, I want to say maybe a week and a half, something like that apart. And I did have, I did see some, um, I, and this was, this was my fault. So I was in my stand. This was the afternoon hunt. I got in my stand. I want to say about, let's just say about, you know, two o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. Cause I was going to spend some time way before, you know, sunset, uh, get out there. Right. So I'm sitting in my stand, I'm looking and I'm, I'm kind of like scanning, I'm hearing some things. And, you know, I, I some of y'all probably had the same thing where you think you might've heard something. Like I had a few of those that day. Uh, it was a tiny bit windy. It was a little bit warm. But I was like, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to stay here because I, I want to get this experience. I want to be out here and, you know, maybe something will pop up. Well, about, I had to get going. So it was about 6.30. Sun's, sunset officially was, I think, want to say 7.05 p.m. And so about 6.30, I get my gear, get it back, you know, walk back to my Jeep, put it in. And then just curiosity, man. I was like, you know, I just know there's one out there. So I go ahead and just kind of, walk silently back there, you know, real quietly. I'm saying, yeah, I just want to see if there's something out there. Well, guess what? Probably right about, I want to say it was right about seven o'clock. There was a whitetail flash I saw at a trail that was coming into that feeder. And I was like, son of a gun. I hit up my partner and let him know. He's like, yeah, man, you got to stay there till sunset. And, uh, he's right. And, and I, I knew better and I, I should have, uh, been a little bit more patient, but it is what it is. And I'll be honest with you, I had to get going anyway. So if I would have harvest one, it would have been a, a interesting phone conversation I would have had to, hey, I'm going to be out for a little bit longer. Uh, you know, I don't think I would have been in big trouble, but I might have been in a little bit of trouble. But then I went out again. And this next time I got up super early, like, in the, again, a little bit of space between the days I went out there. And I got into the stand. I want to say I was in the stand about 530 in the morning. Sunrise was somewhere around, I want to say 704, 705 AM. 
that day. And I'm sitting in a stand and I'm just kind of like waiting. And I start hearing a little bit of crunching and, and going on from the leaves. And it, it, it doesn't sound like a raccoon or, or anything like that. And then probably around eight ish, a little after eight, I see these two little guys come up, you know, two little ones and they're just eating a little bit and, you know, pretty small dough, uh, in there. And there was just no way that I was going to harvest that. I want those to, to grow and mature. And it was just nice kind of watching it. They did their thing were there. They were probably there for like, man, 20 minutes or something like that. And then they just kind of wandered off. I'm not sure if they were really hungry. I'm not sure if they, they kind of, they didn't seem too agitated. Like they noticed I was there. I could sense that I was there. Um, they're just, you know, kind of just mind their business, but I tell you, they were just very aware looking around and all that stuff. So it was kind of cool to kind of see that there just hasn't been the opportunity for me to let that arrow fly. And, uh, for me, I, I want to try and get a mature animal. I, I will. So we get four tags and here in North Carolina, so for your guys awareness, we get four tags for does or antlers, uh, deer, and we get two tags for bucks. Um, I'm focused on the first good opportunity I have. I'm going to go ahead and harvest that. So whether it's a doe, uh, a mature buck, so some, a mature buck, you know, I'm like somewhere around the three year mark is, is where I'm looking for, uh, specifically on that lease. Now, if I'm out in public land and stuff like that, um, it really depends. It depends the time of the season, all that stuff. And also depends, Hey, how much meat do I got in my freezer? So there's a couple of things, you know, you remember Chuck talking about kind of like that stuff from before. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like focused on that. So a lot of things were really early in the season. But one thing I need to share, and there might be a reason why I'm not seeing so much. Now, I see now I have cameras out there and I've gone and pulled cards and I've seen a cool eight point. I've seen a couple, you know, good sized dough. And but we've seen a lot of little ones, but we haven't seen a tremendous amount of activity compared to other time periods. Well, it's been a little bit warm, like I mentioned uh, before. We've had some really good windy days. We've had some nasty storms, but we also have another problem that's kind of like we're 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 looking at uh, resolving. Probably, but we have a couple of dogs that are just running a rampant out there, and they like to come out like sometime in the afternoon and sometime in the late evening, go around and chase all the the deer and stuff. That's not too cool. So they're like a couple of feral dogs, and I did find a couple of coyotes uh, on some of the images on cam too. So there's something to do with far as like the maintenance. Now the area I go out, it's a pretty large property. It's it's pretty good size, plenty of different areas that you can hunt at. But still, that's that's a concern. It's something we have to deal with. But those those are big factors. Now this weekend things should be getting a little bit cooler. There are going to be some days where the morning's going to be in the 40s. So that should help out you know myself and many other hunters. I I have been on the bow hunters in North Carolina page. And there's been some great information that people have shared on there. And it seems to be kind of like the trend right now. They're, they're, they're kind of a little bit, uh, harder to get. Now, if you have some of these properties that don't get hunted as much, you got a lot of private land. There's a lot of private land doing some good harvesting and stuff. Uh, public land. I didn't, haven't seen too many public land harvest uh, that are populated, but then again, I'm not seeing everything that's out there. Uh, there, I, I could be wrong in that. But my, my plan is to probably go out and do some public land hunting uh, in the next couple of weeks. And I'm definitely going to check out some of the areas that I shared with you that I feel are going to be uh, something that is going to produce something. And, you know, hey, wish me luck out there. Now, as far as you all, you might have some different experiences. I've seen a lot of different hunts going out there. And I tell you, uh, looking at what you do and what you share, I'm learning from that too. And I'm hoping others as well. So if you have something that you like to share, you want to share your story, you want to share your hunt, Go ahead, hit me up at route16 at gmail.com or give us a call on the Route16 hotline at 919-694-3356. Want to support the show? How about becoming a Route16 Grind Patreon today for as little as a buck a month? It's not just a contribution, but an investment that goes directly to the show. Help this podcast expand and grow. Check out the show notes for the links to our Patreon page. Hey, this is Mickey G, and as I said, I just caught the show, and I find the, the whole show interesting. But the segment you talked about, navigation and maps, I found interesting because I'm actually doing research for an episode of my podcast, the 10-Minute Off-Road Podcast, which oddly enough is only like about seven minutes long. That's kind of shenanigans you expect from me. But I'd like to point out that I always carry 
two forms of navigation, uh, your phone and a tablet or your tablet. And I prefer to always carry paper map and compass and get out and practice with your paper map and compass because it does get rusty. A quick story, my kids were little, I tried to teach them how to use uh, paper map compass. We picked out a location in the woods next to our house. And long, long story short, two hours later, we were finding our way back home. <laughs> I got lost. So it's an art that gets rusty if you don't use it. All right, boys and girls, I'll chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. Great hearing from you, Nikki G. Yeah, that map and customs, that's something that uh, you definitely have to practice with. It's something you have to constantly be on top of. Um, because at some point those batteries could go dead and you guess what you got and ho hopefully you have a map and compass that you can go off of so it's pretty cool that you're doing that and i tell you what man so appreciate you doing those 10 minute off road i enjoy listening to those and y'all need to go ahead and check nikki g out as well go check out 10 minute off road podcast you can find it on podbeam apple Podcasts, itunes and a variety of different other places just google 10 minute off road take your rig to the next level with the nexon rodian mtx Featuring an aggressive tire design that's extremely versatile for on- and off-road driving. Each tire boasts a dual sidewall design that allows you to customize the look of the tire on your rig. The Nexon Rodian MTX might have rugged traits, but thanks to its patented tread block design, road noise is minimized. Nexon's innovative technology, state-of-the-art manufacturing, and award-winning designs have ensured Nexon is not an industry secret anymore. When you need performance on the road and the trail, choose Nexon. Welcome to the Rock, Mud, and Dirt, sponsored by Nexon Tire. This segment is where I talk about the people, brands, products, and events from the off-road world. This week, I'm going to share with you my opinions on the Ford Bronco, the new Ford Bronco, and the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Like it or not, the Ford Bronco, in my opinion, is pretty capable. Um, this thing was first presented to the world on Good Morning America on a site at Northeast Off-Road Driving School, or I like to call it Nora 4x4. If you go all the way back to Episode 2 of the Route 16 Grind, we had John Mapes as a surprise guest host from Nora 4x4. So give the love, hate, given the love and hate coming out of all the different motorheads and wheeling camps, I figured why not talk to the guy who's actually driven one and watch various different models drive in different trail environments. The summary conversation with John was, he was pretty impressed with it, even with the independent independent front suspension. So, you know, I look at it, would I drive it? Hell yeah, I would drive it. I like the fact that the Ford actually listened probably to a lot of things that people that own Jeep Wranglers or Jeepers, you know, the TJs and JKs, and the CJs and all that things that, you know, they've taken and said, well, what don't they like, which they, what do they wish they had? And I tell you what, being able to store your doors and put them on, take them off, put them on, take them off and have storage for that in the vehicle. That's a big win for me. And there's a, a few different things that they've done. And you know what? There could be some love, hate out there. People like it. People hate it. And at the end of the day, it's your rig. If you like it, would I drive it? Would I buy one? Yeah, I probably would. Uh, do you hate me for it? You probably shouldn't. Um, I'm, I'm very much attracted to things that are capable things, that different platforms and whatnot. I like the Jeep and the fact of its history. I like the Jeep, what it's capable of. I like that. It comes right off the line. You're ready to go. Uh, you can hit the trail. You know what? You can do the same thing with this Bronco. Now going back to Jeep, this grand Wagoneer, it's pretty, uh, maybe to some, yeah, I just got to say it, man. It was pretty damn disappointing. I mean, what the hell, Jeep? Uh, don't even get me started with the Wrangler 4XE. I'm not even going to go there. I can only handle one disappointment per show here. But the Grand Wagoneer, I think all of us were hoping for something really beefy, something that tipped its hat to the original Grand Wagoneer, the the, the front grill, and maybe some of more squaring, if you will. Um, but it, it's, I get they're doing the whole third row thing and all that, but I don't, I'm not going to buy, you know, this hundred thousand dollar grand Wagoneer. It just ain't going to happen. It's nice, I guess. And it's got a lot of comfort, but I think for many of us, uh, thinking back in the, uh, days of the original grand Wagoneer, I, I think we were really hoping for something truly special, 
you know, I hope it sells. I hope Jeep sells a whole bunch of them. I definitely would never buy one. Even if I had disposable income just to go buy one for the heck of it, it just wouldn't happen. I just don't see the attraction for me and, and just my own personality and, and what I was hoping to the Grand, Wag- Grand Wagoneer was going to be just a huge disappointment. And I'll be honest with you, that's what I saw. I mean, I, we posted something that day as it was happening, uh, you know, live stream and everybody was going to kind of see what it was. And it was just nothing but disappointment statement, disappointing statement after disappointing statement. I don't really remember a positive comment. I would have to go back and look at some of the stuff that we put out and some of the comments that were responded with, but I just don't see the appeal. Switching gears here, I understand that Jeep is looking to target a large luxury vehicle. You know, that whole Escalade, uh, the whole, uh, what am I going, looking to think about? The uh, Land Rover, that kind of stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, if it gets in that market, fine, um, and people buy it. I just think for a Jeep brand, yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. Probably just killed that horse there. I think you guys got the message because a lot of people that interact with me on social media, the things that they share, um, it's pretty much the same message. Uh, if you get one, hey, please uh, make a liar out of me. Make a liar out of all of us and tell us how awesome it is. Uh, and that's cool. And, and again, I mean, if if that's your thing and, and you enjoy it, then that's your rig. Uh, that's your car. I can't call it a rig. I can't do that. I, I can't even believe I even said that. But that's your vehicle. Um, enjoy it. Uh, I know that you'll have some wonderful uh, opportunities to cruise the wineries and the different places uh, on the coast and enjoy your time with it. But for me, I just don't see uh, this being something worthy of the Jeep Grand Wagoneer label. Now, switching back gears, back to the Ford Bronco. Yeah, I mean, you guys should give it a a good look is probably where I'll come from. Um, I know many of us are diehard Jeepers. Many of us are the ones say, oh, this is the best thing since sliced bread. But again, I, I like things that, hey, if this will this fit my purpose, can I see this thing uh, being able to provide me the things that I enjoy? Uh, I look for a multi-purpose vehicle, something that can be a daily driver and still go out and hit the trail and can be upgraded, can be customized and all that. And I think the Ford Bronco is going to be able to answer that. I think they're going to get a pretty good showing of people. I think I think they actually sold out the initial lots of people that already pre-ordered and all that. So it's probably doing pretty good. I look forward to seeing more on the road. I don't think I've even seen one yet. Um, I've seen plenty of uh, people showing it on social media, but I have not seen one up close in person yet, and I look forward to doing that. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll change my mind. Uh, maybe I'll go take one for a test drive and see how that goes. But from what I see, uh, people I talk to, and, of course, I'm, I respect John up at Norfolk by Ford tremendously, and if he's impressed with this, then to me, that's saying something. Want to be on the show? Share with us some interesting hunting, fishing, overlanding, wheeling, or venturing news? Then give us a call at the Route 16 Grind Hotline at 919-694-3356, and maybe you will be on our next show. Go Adventure! This week on Go Adventure, I'm going to share with you some of the details of where the hell I have been. Well, in one word, I've been volunteering. Now, in my village, I've been providing my time and my opinion to what's called an open space board. So this board is basically established by the village council and you volunteer yourself and the village says, yeah, hey, you're good. You can come on here. And pretty much anyone that volunteers that wants to do it probably will get on. They do have a set number, uh, so they'll cut that off. But, you know, there's a shortage of volunteers when it comes to stuff like this, which is crazy. But anyways, we have a lot of different open spaces within my village that I live in, and you basically go out and provide recommendations to the board, to the village council, and say, hey, these are some things that we polled our uh, fellow villagers, you know, people that live in uh, residents and stuff, and these are the things that they felt is important, these are our opinions, you provide that, and then the village council makes a determination if they're going to invest in any of those projects that you think that are worthy of it. So you can be a person that just walks around, complains, and not get involved, or you can be a person that gets involved, uh, try and get a better understanding of the issues that may affect your community, 
and try and help uh, facilitate some of the challenges that it has. One thing that I love about volunteering for this role is I get to meet some of the people that have been tremendously proactive in the different roles within the village in different volunteer roles. And they have a tremendous amount of influence with people on the council because why they constantly have their ear in different functions and to be able to sit down with certain, some of these individuals and realize that they have a mentality that they it's okay to control other people and basically dictate what should be versus, Hey, you know what? That's individual rights. You're creeping on being able to share a dialogue and maybe provide context with certain things and certain actions they might be recommending and ways of going about stuff. And to, you know, it's different when people are being challenged directly, uh, the social media, everybody's a hero, everybody's, you know, a uh, uh, BA, whatever you want to call it. But when you're actually in that room with these individuals and they're trying to bring up these very um, demanding and infringing on individual right type of uh, recommendations, and they've never been challenged before, now someone's willing to challenge them, it changes the tune. I, I have. It, this is something I've been volunteering my time on for the past few months, and I have learned a lot about my local community, the village I live in. I learned a lot about the people, um, and I've been able to actually create a positive dialogue with people that you know probably would not have even said hello to me before. So it's pretty interesting to do that. Um, you can again, you can be a complainer, you can be a person that actually gets in there and gets their hands dirty. And one thing that you can do from volunteering perspective is get involved in your own community. It could be something as simple as this. You don't have to run for office. You don't have to do any of that crazy stuff. You can find something within your community that helps advise those leaders on the things that are important within your community. And if you disagree with them, at least there's one voice that can say that. Now, on top of that, you can also, as you're getting this information, share it with your other community residents and stuff and try to energize them to get involved. The biggest problem in our politics today is the fact that more people don't even get involved in it. They need to get involved. If you really want to see a change, you got to get involved. You got people have got to hear your beliefs, your what you care about. You need to get with others. You need to have dialogue. And this is one way to do it. Your community probably has something similar and you should look into it. Uh, another thing that I've been involved in. So within uh, my town, I think I might've mentioned it before uh, here on this podcast. I can't remember, but I, I actually, after no kidding, 10 years of effort and solicitation going back and forth with the County emergency manager and starting to talk to the state project manager um, for community emergency response team or cert, uh, I actually got a cert team established here in my village. Now it took a lot of work. I had to go do liaison with the fire department, uh, the emergency manager. They had to take it seriously. And I had to go out and get people to volunteer just because Brian wanted this to happen and thinks it's great and wonderful. And everyone was like, yeah, man, it's a great idea. It doesn't happen without other people. And I have a role of at least 25 people. And right now we've been in week three of the certification training. Um, it's held, you know, one night a week and it's like seven to 10 at night. And um, right now we have 13 people that are committed to this session. And then we have uh, another 10 or so that are on the roster that couldn't be a part of this certification session, but they still are a part of the team in a volunteer role. They just may be limited in the capacity capacity that they're able to provide their services and support. But we're going to plan to have uh, two certification um, training sessions a year. And then once we get certified, uh, we're going to go ahead and get the paperwork in with FEMA and be recognized through FEMA as well as an actual community emergency response team uh, called CERT. And this is something I'm telling you outdoors people, you wheelers, I'm talking to you. This is something that you can absolutely get involved in. Now, there have been a few people I have met out in Yuwari that are involved with it. Uh, there are people that are part of other organizations that do kind of uh, this kind of stuff. And I probably should mention what it actually does is so you it's, it's a it's a group from the local community, 
for the most part in general, and it, it can go other places too, but in general from the local community, so like your neighbors and such that augment emergency services during major disasters. So like if there's a hurricane, there's a tornado, there's some type of crazy event where, you know, people and property are at risk or there's a lot of people and property at loss. This team will help augment already stretched out emergency services like your police and fire. Now, this is not a bunch of people running around and trying to do police officer's job or firefighter's job. They're there to do the roles like, can they run a triage area? Uh, can they hand out bottled water? Can they facilitate and search limited search and rescue duties? Can they help identify certain things? So they go down the house and check people. Uh, can they go down and mark dangerous areas? Um, for a community event, can they help with, you know, traffic movement and parking, stuff like that. Things that, because you want firefighters to do firefighter stuff. You want EMTs to do EM, EMT stuff. Uh, you want police officers to do police officer stuff. So how do you get them away from the, you know, limited stuff that they don't need to be worried about, you know, filling out rosters, filling out things like uh, at a, uh, a shelter or whatnot. Um, going out and just turning off gas lines and stuff. There's certain things that can facilitate with that. Now, some of y'all might freak out and say, yeah, I would want a firefighter to do that. But turning off a gas line after a disaster, you're talking about a neighborhood with hundreds, if not thousands of houses. You don't have that many firefighters to do that. You're going to need some type of support. So this cert is going to be trained up in certain functions from first aid, to, you know, certain things that we discussed, limited search and rescue. They're going to learn how to do some chores that can facilitate and ease up and relieve like certain duties from firefighters and law enforcement uh, to help facilitate many things. It is just an overwhelming. Some of y'all have been in disasters and seen some of these things that just were not well organized. Now, one of the reasons I was very proactive in this, you know, I have a, I have a uh, degree in, in emergency management and I have an experience actually when I lived in Texas and I was a part of one of these teams and saw just the, the wonderful things it did within a community. And in disasters, there's generally not much of a shortage of volunteers. Sometimes there's people coming from outside the area to people coming from a local area. Everybody wants to help. That's a great thing, but it's also a very big concern when you're looking at it from an emergency management perspective. You're looking at it from a local law enforcement perspective. You're looking at it just an emergency planner and the people that has to organize all this. Now, you've seen a lot of success with what was called crowdsource rescue and stuff, but some of that, the things that you don't necessarily see all the time are the ones that go really bad. So you have someone that goes into an area with the best intentions, but they end up becoming stuck. They might come in disabled. They might come and put themselves at a at risk as well. And now there are not just a couple of people that might need to get rescued, but there's even more taking more services, more resources from an area from someone that put themselves in that situation versus someone that was stuck in that situation. So you kind of have to look at it from that perspective. When integrating with a various type of emergency services, you're going to want to work with people that you probably know. You probably have a good understanding of what training they have. Uh, you're going to have a the confidence of what they can and can't do. And on top of it, they know where they fit in the puzzle. They're not going to try and do your job because they did this or they did that back when back there, or they, you know, sat through a, a, a training session on online somewhere. So you're not dealing with a lot of that. That's a part of that too. Um, again, I'm not trying to knock people that go out and trying to support these things and volunteer, but you have to look at it from an emergency planner's perspective. And some of these things, they, they really got to know the people that are coming from, they really don't have time to go through your entire background and vet everything. This is something simple. That's local within a community that the community vouches for. So we are actually sponsored by the fire department. So these are people that are actually watching our training, making sure we're doing all the right things. And we actually are getting signed off by the County emergency manager who is providing the training and such. And then we also are getting resources from the state project manager for cert, who is ensuring that we have all this different training and stuff like that. And we need to stay on top of it. So there's a lot of things that we'll need to do uh, in order to do it. And, uh, and on top of it, the training is wonderful because think of it this way. Um, it's not like, you know, going to my military bracket. It's not like being on call in the military where it's like you get the call. Okay. It could be snowing outside. You, you got to go. 
You got to go. You got to figure it out. You got to get there. Well, the first thing that matters is initially is ensuring that you and your family are safe. So it's not like one of those things where you're like, oh man, I got to leave my family behind. If your family or yourself is in in an unsafe condition, then that's your first priority. Then you go from there. You make sure that you guys are taken care of. And then, hey, then you go out and put yourself out there and you go assist and all that. But it's called Community Emergency Response Team. You can go on into the show notes, check it out. That's another thing I've been doing. That's been taking up a lot of my time because pretty much I'm the guy to kind of put it together and, you know, keeping everything in tune, trying to keep things organized. And I've really enjoyed that. Okay. I really have. Now, another area that I went and volunteered and everybody, all y'all need to listen to this. If you got kids, check it out. And if you're a person looking for something to do, uh, to try and, you know, get out there and do something challenging. This might be something for you. Well, I live right by the Moore County airport here in, uh, in North Carolina. And, uh, they have a civil air patrol unit that's been there for about a year. Now, I guess they've had one before it's been disbanded all that gone through all that. And I heard about them a couple of years ago at a, like a, you know, when I say air show, it's not like something that, you know, many of us have seen like these, it's really a, a micro air show to bring out a couple of cool planes and, you know, do some helicopter rides, that kind of thing. But it's nothing like you'll see at like one of the major bases and whatnot, but there was a civil air patrol table there. And I started talking to him and my son was, wasn't old enough to join just yet. And, uh, but I was communicating with them. And then for some reason, the person that was looking to establish it, reestablish it at the airport just, uh, he, they had to go do something. And, and then I was trying to get in contact with people that are, were still moving forward with it. Uh, and then nothing. And then as I started this, uh, cert program, they reached out that group, the civil air patrol reached out to me via email and said, Hey, we'd love to get some of our people involved in this and welcome them. And I started asking them about civil air patrol. And then long story short, I got my son to join it. So civil air patrol is like an auxiliary of the air force tonight. They're not in the Air Force. It's an all-volunteer organization where you'll have young people from, I believe, 13 all the way up to the age of 18 when they uh, become of age. And then they get to do all sorts of things. They learn search and rescue. Uh, they get education. And if, it depends on what path they would like to go, but they want to go an aviation education path. They want to do like a cyber path. Uh, they want to do a ground path where they're working a lot of the uh, – you know, search and rescue kind of stuff. They have a lot of different training. They have a lot of great educational opportunities. Um, yes, it's, it's kind of like a mini ROTC is probably a comparison in a sense. They do get in uniform. They do formations. The, the, uh, the cadets themselves are empowered with leadership positions and promotions and whatnot and, and all that. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I kind of look aside at all that. I, I'm just really focused on this. Are the skills that my son is my that my son is receiving are they something that can transfer in his own life in the future or someplace else in life? That was the biggest appeal to me because what they're learning in there. So this past weekend, uh, this last Saturday, um, we were out all day from eight o'clock to four p.m. in the afternoon, and they were doing search and rescue activities. They were doing a little bit of first aid training. They were doing communications training and they were learning how to conduct search and rescue operations. Now this is a low, you know, low level one. It's nothing too crazy, but essentially they were replicating like a down aircraft with a beacon. They had utilities to where they could hone in onto the, you know, fictitious aircraft, if you will. They got land navigation out of it. They got essentially element control, all these little things. And on top of it, how to respond to something like that. You know, how do you, how is your attitude? How do you get organized? And there is so much empowerment of these cadets. I, I have been very impressed. And this is one cool thing that I really like about it. So there are some people like myself that kind of volunteer there. I, I volunteer with this, um, that have military experience and whatnot, but the squadron commander. So the person that's responsible for this program and the troop management, the cadet management, all that, um, she is essentially a person that has not been in the military and for all practical purposes, you know, she's a, uh, a nurse, a mom, uh, you know, wife, and she has such good communication, such good rapport with those cadets. And that's what I love about it. it's pure volunteer volunteerism in action. This is someone that says, Hey, I want to contribute to something. Uh, their kids are involved with it, want to get involved with it. And I was just so impressed with it. And then just the knowledge that's being shared. 
from all different aspects. Uh, I was able to do the training on the land navigation, uh, the compass, signal mirror, so a variety of different things. Another, what they call seniors, another senior would train on things you, how do you get your element together with a search and rescue? Another senior would train on communication. Another senior would train on first aid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I would just go all through. And this was an all day event. It's called Civil Air Patrol. There's probably some uh, in your area. You can look it up. Just go to CAP, look, Google it, Civil Air Patrol, and there might be something in your area. But I will tell you, these are things like volunteering is so important. And and I'm, I wanted to bring this out in the podcast, uh, you know, directly from me. I thought about bringing a couple people on to talk about, it, but I want you to really hear it from me because this is something that I, I kind of bring out uh, through my podcast about being a person of action. I mean, we can all talk about, hey, I want to do something, want to do something. There are so many things that you can do. They are out there. If you're looking for your place in the world still, do some volunteering. I guarantee you, you're going to feel the reward of it. You're going to be helping people out. And you're going to be helping not only to help build their life, but you're going to help to build yours. You're going to get a reward out of it too, in the sense of how it makes you feel. I love the fact, and I'm telling you right now, I'm running on fumes, guys, but I'm enjoying every minute of this because it is helping me be able to share some of the things, some of the lessons that I have, as well as learn some new things still and what we should all do, and then work in different groups and teams to integrate with different different areas within my community. Every one of these organizations are in my local community. And that's what I love about it because that's what we need to do. We need to get more involved as individuals. We need to socialize as a community more. We need to stop this whole Facebook bickering. And I, you know, I'm guilty of it too. Not going to lie. Pot kettle. Got it. You know, I, I try not to do it as much anymore. I, I really don't like getting reeled in, um, especially with the politics of the day. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even watch those debates. Uh, there, there's no way I was going to watch that. It, I, you know what? From what I gathered, it was exactly what I expected. And so I didn't miss anything. But I don't care what your politics is. You know, I'll, if you want to talk about it, I'll share you my ideas and all that and how I feel. You want to share yours. I'll respect you. Uh, just respect me. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think if all of us just approach life that we are all neighbors and we should look out for each other, we should care for each other, um, things would change naturally. I think a lot of things that that shouldn't concern us would just not even be going to the top of the pile anymore. Um, the things that people fight about, the things that people bicker about, you know, my side's better than your side. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's shameful. So I'm trying to change the tune here in my own life. I'm trying to do things uh, through my own actions. And volunteering has been one of those things too. Um, you know, de- pro- providing your time to put something positive into the world is, is something that's more valuable than your money, in my opinion. It just is. Uh, money does solve a lot of things when it comes to certain organizations, but they can't go any further without somebody dedicating time, effort, and you know their own individual knowledge to to make it better. I mean, we have plenty of programs that have a lot of funding, but go nowhere because we don't have the people involved. And I should say, we don't have the right people who truly care that are involved. I've seen a lot of great things in the past few years and the many different organizations I've been involved with, the many different clubs I've been involved with, the many different people that have, you know, I've met along the way, along my journey. I think there is a demand. There is a calling uh, that says, hey, you know what? I, I want to do something. I, I want to help. I, I want to do more. Volunteer your time. You know what? If you if you need help, I'm more than happy to Use whatever resources I have to help you find that spot to where you can get a part of some great organizations. And it doesn't have to be the ones that I kind of mentioned. It could be a variety of different ones. Uh, But I'm more than happy to to help you find what that is and see what we can do to get you out there. Uh, Because we brought some amazing groups on this podcast I talked about earlier. We got this wonderful bill that's out there that's going to take people, people to get involved, to take action, to help reduce this 22 a day and you have all these different things inside your own local community that need assistance and then you could be one of those people that can get involved and can help out with that it just takes a little bit of your time shut off the netflix get off the couch get involved you want to see change then be the change <laughs> 
For over 20 years, PowerTank has been the leader in high-performance portable CO2 air systems. A PowerTank is the ideal air source to air up tires, reseat tire beads, run air tools, and more. It's the only portable air system that can air up a 40-inch tire in under a minute and is backed by a limited lifetime warranty. A power tank does not require electricity and operates silently. See for yourself why Power Tank is the number one air source for Jeeps, 4x4s, RVs, construction crews, and hunters by going to powertank.com. The Cup of Joe segment is brought to you by Seasteak Coffee. Have you ever actually drank good coffee? Stop wasting your money on old, stale coffee from the store and make the switch to Seasteak Coffee. Seasteak Coffee is a United States Marine Corps veteran-owned and operated roastery selling premium coffee that's roasted on order and delivered fresh to you. Order your coffee today at www.seasteakcoffee.com. It feels good to put on another show for y'all the committed listeners, and of course, the new listeners. Now, we had a great number of downloads, and I can't thank you all enough. I put in a lot of time into this. Our sponsor put provide us their support and brand association. Of course, you, the listeners, have helped share the Route 16 grind, bringing in all these new listeners each week. So thank you very much. And yes, we did have a caller number five, Bill, who should be enjoying the Vortex solo on the plains of Kansas. Congrats to you, Bill, and send us some picks when you get a chance. Um, you know, how about that, Bill, HR2435, guys? Um, it's sitting in the House of Representatives right now. If you support, you volunteer, you run a veteran outreach program, you better get on board and start writing your representative and senators now. I cannot believe this bill has been sitting in the House close to a year and a half. You want to get behind something, get behind this, folks. I've shared my personal story, my personal view of the positive impact the outdoors can have on a veteran and who needs to see the world from a familiar perspective, but also through a different lens. This is doing more than push-ups for those who become a member of a 22-a-day club. I'm not knocking on people that do the push-ups to bring attention, but that attention is, we got it. Now let's do something. The average veteran number of suicides, that 22 a day, it's probably something more than 22 currently. This right here, guys, is action. This HR 2435 bill, it's going to be, it's going to take time for it to be put into action. Even after everything it does and says, hey, these are all the great solutions that we're coming up with. But every day we delay of this bill sitting in the House, not getting to the Senate, not getting to a vote, not getting to the president's desk and put into action is delay. It's, it's someone else that may not be reached. So think of it like that. And again, thanks to, uh, to veterans overland for bringing this to our attention. Now I enjoyed sharing with you some of my hunting expeditions. I tell you, it's been great getting outside and of course, trying some new dove hunting with my son. I mean, that was just so much fun. It was so fun to see him do that. And it's a different style of hunting. You're not really, style. you're kind of just sitting there on a chair and you got your bucket and you got your ammo and you got lots of ammo and uh, you're going to need it. And you're out there, you know, and it was just enjoyable. It really was. Um, my son had a big old smile and I think, yep, definitely. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, do something with those dove this weekend and I'll let you know what I do. Um, as for the Bronco Wagoneer, you know, you know, you know, those were two different reactions. Uh, when those were presented to the world, the, the internet can celebrate and brutalize like no other, but if you agree or disagree with my points of view, you know, I just got to say, you know, if that's your ride, the only person that needs to be happy is you. If you like it. That's all that matters, period. I also talked about volunteering. We all need to do more. All of us do. You know, volunteering provides us new challenges. At times, it provides meaningful purpose. And in my opinion, one of the most positive impacts that volunteering has is it helps create personal connection with others from your community, regardless of background, regardless of ideology, politics, and you all support each other to help achieve a community-focused goal. And for all of us, that's a big win. That is a big win. So I hope you all enjoyed this show. I mean, thank you so much for joining me here on the Route 16 Grind. And remember, if you have an idea, maybe you would like to contribute to one of the segments, all you need to do is go to route16.com and select contact and let us know what your idea is. That's route16.com and select contact. Thanks for listening to the Route 1 Six Grind. We want to thank Nexon Tire. 
Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, Power Tank, C-State Coffee, and Route 16 Off-Road for their support. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just look for Route 16. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X. Or just go to Route16.com. Until next week, plan smart, be safe, and always be prepared. Here, dear, dear, dear. Here, dear, dear, dear. Man, that don't work. Yeah!